1: Where you go to high school will impact your future, obviously, but if you go to the right high school, your future uh, looks a lot brighter. That's basically what a a new uh, piece in the Star Tribune has to say about the have and have-nots from the editorial board about uh, the state of high schools in the Twin Cities and basically the fact that School segregation is absolutely a real thing, and it absolutely plays a role in the future of students in the Twin Cities. I thought it'd be a good time to bring in uh, Myron Orfield. He's director of the Institute of the Metropolitan Opportunity at the University of Minnesota. He's quoted in this article. He joins us now on the John Schuster Cowell Banker Hotline. Thank you for the time, Myron. How did we get here in that schools now are seemingly as segregated as they were before we had Brown versus the Board of Education?
2: Oh, they're more segregated here than they've ever been. I mean, we did, for a long time, we did a very good job. We didn't have any segregated schools into the 1990s, and people thought we were sort of a miracle. You know, we were a very unusual place because we worked hard at it. And what places, changed? Well, in in the late 90s, the Attorney General of Minnesota decided that, uh, that integration might be illegal. He, he issued kind of a strange opinion in 1999-2000 saying that He thought that voluntary integration might be illegal affirmative action, and we just really stopped trying on this, and then we exempted charter schools from any kind of requirements to be integrated, and we allowed open enrollment between districts without any effort to try to help uh, kids of color have the same choices in open enrollment as white kids. So. You know, we are one of the third, we're the third whitest metropolitan area in the country. We're about like Portland and Seattle. And we have 154 schools that are more than 90% non-white and poor. Portland has one, and Seattle with a million more kids has about 40. So, you know, we probably should be in that range between Seattle and Portland if we were, if we hadn't made this change in the late 90s. So we
1: made made a a
2: change. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just so. So Seattle and Portland. What are they doing differently that w- do you believe the Twin Cities should do to uh, are, bring that they down? Are,
2: they are. They have opinions in their state that voluntary integration is a good thing, and districts try to pursue it voluntarily. Ours, our opinions say it's a bad thing, and they shouldn't do it. And they also. They don't have a ton of charter schools, and they don't exempt charter schools from integration. And they also have pretty good – they have policies like we had for about 20 years where we built a lot of affordable housing in the suburbs. So for a long time, we built about half or more of the affordable housing in these Golden Ticket school areas, and that really made a difference up through the 90s. But in the 90s, we stopped doing it at all, and we just built it in poor neighborhoods.
1: When so, you, you mentioned Golden Ticket uh, school districts. Yeah. Can you explain further what those are?
2: the school districts that are really the powerhouses in terms of getting kids into college and post-secondary. and so that they are you know they are mostly in the western suburbs and some of the more affluent eastern suburbs, but you also have schools like Minneapolis, Southwest and Washburn, which are quite diverse but strong that provide that opportunity. And then you have the schools on the other end, what we call the dead end schools, and they're mostly in the poorest neighborhoods of the city in Brooklyn Park and Brooklyn Center, and they're overwhelmingly poor and non-white and those schools, uh, three quarters of everyone either drops out or has no post-secondary options. That you know has doesn't pursue any other post-secondary options. So they're really, you know, powerful dead ends for these kids. And that's true of segregated schools throughout the country, everywhere, pretty much.
1: Is that we based did, on the staffing that they have? That just like better educators will be drawn or will be? Well,
2: it's a, it's a lot of things. I mean, schools are more than just teachers and, and instruction. They're also networks. And so, you know, if if you uh if every college in the United States grades, every high school in the United States gives them a, a grade on their rigor. And these schools get bad reputations. Schools that have a lot of poor kids don't have the chances to have A P classes. Uh they tend to attract they tend to attract the teachers that have the fewest choices. Teachers that have choices tend to wanna work in more successful school districts. They have pretty good funding in Minnesota. I mean that's one of the things we've done. We haven't they have often spending more than the suburbs. But they just keep sorting out to become more and more poor kids together. And, you know, the f- most powerful predictor of where the kid's gonna be success is the income and education of their parents. And so that makes it, that explains a lot of this. But the second most powerful predictor is who the kids go to school with. You know, what their peer group is, you know. And if a kid a poor kid is dropped in a fast moving stream, going in the right direction. They tend to get pulled along into the right place. A poor kid dropped in a stream where everybody's dropping out. It just reinforces the, you know, the things that happen in poor families.
1: You mentioned open enrollment. Uh, yeah. I guess some people would argue, well, well, the, well, uh, there you go. If if you want uh, opportunities for your child, send them to a different school. Is it a matter of that? Not as many people are doing that, or is well, that is that adding pattern. to the problem?
2: It's a pattern, you know. Open enrollment—you got to get to school, and usually you have to have a parent drive you, and yep. you know, and particularly favors white kids. And and you see in the western suburbs, you see from the more diverse school districts like Hopkins and. Uh, and And St Louis Park and Eden Prairie, a lot of white kids open and roll into Minnetonka, and almost no kids of color open enroll into Minnetonka. We don't quite know why that is, but you have these school districts that act as big magnets for white kids not wanting to go to Eden Prairie, not wanting to go to St. Louis Park, not wanting to go to hopkins and the The, the kids of color just can't really follow them, and we don't know why that is and and it has you know some poor kids of color use open enrollment in a way to get into a better school, but mostly. It's much more dominant that white kids are avoiding diverse schools and going to whiter suburban schools. Hmm. And that's caused some problems.
1: So how do we fix it? You know, you mentioned there that it's not necessarily a, a funding issue that that. No. It, so, like, how do we combat this?
2: Had we continued, from about 1970 till uh, toward the end of the 80s, we were building about half of all the affordable housing in places like Plymouth and Eden Prairie and so forth. Had we continued that policy, we would have no segregated schools now. So that would be one way. And we used to do it and no one died. You know, it worked pretty well, but we stopped doing it. And then a second thing we could do is is say that Minnesota law favors this and try to create some incentives to do this and to make sure, you know, for example, the charter schools had to, couldn't, you know, one of the things that happens is, you know, Eden Prairie will have a diverse school district and you'll get a much wider charter school in the district or. Bloomington will you know, have a more diverse district, and they'll get a big white charter school in the middle of the district. It would be good if those charter schools could cooperate a little bit better with the local school districts, not to just siphon off the white kids, you know, to accept kids of color too. So, I mean, making the charter schools a little bit fair, getting the housing in the right place, like we used to do, you know, creating some incentives for kids to be able to transfer. You know, if open enrollment works for white kids, it should work for kids of color too. They should, you know, they should make the playing field a little more even on that.
1: Uh, so We're getting a texture and you hear arguments about well, what does you know, family and household structure play into this?
2: Uh, it plays in a big way. Yep. You know, it's a it's a very important part. And as I said, the you know, the income and education, the family background of a kid is the most powerful predictor. But after that, it's the peer group. And when you cluster successful kids together, it creates more than the sum of their parts. When you cluster poor kids together, it creates a system that's much more than the sum of their parts. So, family background, family structure is important. But poor kids who have access to high opportunity schools tend to graduate and go on to secondary education. They don't do as well as the kids from good families, they don't have all the, but they do a lot better than if they're in poor schools.
1: We're talking to uh, Myron Orfield, director of the Institute on Metropolitan Opportunity at the University of Minnesota, about the situation in our schools. in the Me- What about schools, uh, and we're talking about metro area schools, but what about yeah. schools like in greater Minnesota? Because there's a lot of bad schools in greater Minnesota, too.
2: Yeah, we didn't look at that in this particular study, but it's certainly true. And some of these same things are happening in, in rural Minnesota, you know, and particularly in, uh, you know, places like Rochester and, uh, you know, And, you know, we've looked in the past, you know, they have some of these same patterns.
1: With the current appetite, with the current situation of our political environment, what kind of yeah. appetite is there in St. Paul to to address this, and how, in your estimation, well, have they been doing in addressing it?
2: One of the things that's ironic is, you know, Minnetonka is applying to build affordable housing, and the state is turning them down, the Met Council is turning them down. Edina is applying to build affordable housing, and the Met Council is turning them down, the state is turning them down, you know. So it's interesting that we're in a period where these suburbs are willing to do more but the state agencies uh, want to keep all the units in the poorest neighborhoods. And ironically, places like uh, Dakota County you know, would like to do more. The, uh, Dakota County is building a two-bedroom unit for about 220000 with $800 rents. But the state is choosing to build the units not in Dakota County but in Minneapolis where the same unit costs $500,000 with $1,200 rents. So part of it is allowing uh, these suburban HRAs to do more, which they want to do more, and not, you know, rewarding the very high-cost uh, developers in the central cities that are building all the units in the footprint of the worst schools, which is kind of what's happening now.
1: Got a text here, and forgive me if this is uh, if this is inaccurate, but somebody's wondering, uh, wants me to ask you about the work you did for Eden Prairie Schools to redraw boundaries. Is that yeah. something you did? And can you talk about uh, the results of that?
2: Well, in 2010, uh, you know, Eden Prairie did it, and they were uh, they the white parents in the Bear Path area threatened to sue them. And what I did was said to Eden Prairie that it was legal, what they did, and they did do it. And Eden Prairie's had very good results in terms of kids' outcomes. It has some of the smallest disparities between white and black kids in the state. It has, I think, the smallest disparities in educational outcomes. But Eden Prairie, when it did that, lost a lot of white kids to Minnetonka. Minnetonka sort of recruited white kids. When Eden Prairie was struggling with that, the Minnetonka School District really recruited white kids to leave. So Eden Prairie did a good job. It was controversial, as could be. Sure. They they fired the superintendent. The kids have done very well there in the 10 years since. But Minnetonka sort of undermined, you know, really hurt Eden Prairie's effort. And it it's hurt all the other, you know, it, when Hopkins was trying to draw integrated boundaries, Minnetonka recruited white kids at that moment during the stress. You know, it, it, it's, it's been kind of a, an enemy of these schools trying to do this.
1: A uh, fascinating uh, discussion, and I'd yep. love to have you on again, Myron. Thank you so much for the Thank time you. today, and we appreciate it. We'll reach out again. Thank you. Myron Orfield, Director of the Institute of Metropolitan Opportunity at the University of Minnesota. Uh, the disparity between the haves and have-nots, the schools where almost you have a predetermined outcome of greater success, whether it's secondary, you know, in college education or wherever you go. Um Lots of comments on this, 651 461 We want to react to uh, what Myron had to say. Certainly welcome a phone call as well. Uh, we'll do that after this on CCO.